Hey, it's Kev here, and welcome to episode number 100 of The Truth About Marketing. Wow, what a journey it's been. Feels like we're just getting started in so many ways, but I wanted to take a minute to thank you uh, for listening, for all your support, for all your feedback, both good and bad. Your criticism has helped guide this show as much as your accolades. I couldn't be more thankful for your for your ear hole, for a little space in your brain. It means the world to me that you would uh, tune in and uh, give credence to these conversations. I do my best to always deliver top quality without wasting a minute of your time. Uh, and I, um, uh, I will continue to do so. Look for more of everything you love, more top-level marketers and business owners from all kinds of markets and niches sharing their deepest uh, tactical secrets about how they make a bunch of money with their stuff so that we can apply it to our business. And I'm also going to begin to incorporate more colorful stuff like I'm going to bring more comedians on the show. And we're going to talk to them about uh, how uh, they market their business or how they uh, sell a joker and they construct uh, their routines. Uh, we're going to um, search out where the answer to our hidden needs lie. And that's the number one goal of this show is how can we find something that somebody's done well, got surprising results with and apply it quickly to our businesses so that we can market in a more effective and dynamic way. So uh, here's to 100 more episodes. Today to celebrate, I wanted to do something a little different, and I'm going to share with you a live presentation I did for uh, Ryan Lee. Ryan's a great friend. He's twice been a guest on this show. He's the first guy to ever invite me to speak uh, live at one of his uh, events, and I've uh, since done three of his events. My favorite of them all was the most recent called Freedom Fest, where uh, instead of sharing tactical copywriting stuff, uh, I shared a, a message from the heart about how to let uh, a, a unique idea develop and to not rush to get it out on Facebook and let it get stomped on before it even has time to develop for you. So I think you'll like this, especially if you're uh, you know, feeling a little lost or really looking to dial in your message and your point of view and, and let your voice develop, you're going to find this especially inspiring. It's, it's story-based, and uh, I'll be interested to see if you know who I'm talking about in the story uh, until I get to the big old reveal. So enjoy this recording. Thanks again for being a listener. I always want to hear from you and welcome your feedback. And onward. So uh, I know you guys are, you know, feeling it, man. This has been a lot of information. And so uh, get ready to relax and, and chill. And we're going to talk about some cool stuff, but uh, it's not going to be tactical. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. So you can put your pens away. Put your pens away. Let's have a talk. Let me tell you a little story real quick. Um, in 1962, a young man, a seven-year-old kid named... Edward Ludwig boarded a ship from his home in the Netherlands to a new life in America. He didn't know English. His family had no money. They had a piano. So they loaded the trunk of their belongings and a big-ass piano onto a ship and came to America. 
which kind of cracks me up because can you imagine, like if I was moving across town, I'd go, fuck it, leave the piano. <laughs> but this family loved music so much and music was such a part of their life that they could not be without their piano. Um, so they arrived in America and, uh, oh, and the piano is significant because the father was a musician, uh, Edward's dad, and he play, it's how they got the ticket to get on the ship was that he played with the band. He earned their ride over. Could you not uh, unwrap that candy the whole time I'm up here? God love you. Thank you. <laughs> fucking A. <laughs> You're the guy at the movies who sits behind me and you got like the, it's not your fault that they put loud rapper candy in the dishes. But just rip that shit open and eat it, man. Tiki, 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 tiki. I don't, I don't want to disturb anybody. Tiki, 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 tiki. I'm a sensitive performer. Uh, so Ed's family gets to America. He doesn't speak English. He goes off to school. Segregation is still in effect. So. Uh, uh, Ed goes to the, to the all-black school where he quickly makes friends, but the white kids beat him up anyway. And as he, uh, but you know, the family didn't have much and, and dad couldn't get any work as a, as, a, uh, as a musician, so he was a janitor and mom was a maid, but they had the music, the music was their escape and they would run around the house, dad playing the piano and they'd bang on pat, pots and pans and they'd sing songs loud, they loved it loud. And so uh, Ed, uh, you know, played, his mother wanted him to be like a classic pianist, but he wasn't that interested in it. So when he uh, got into his teen years and he was tired of piano, um, she didn't want him to lose his interest in music. So she uh, took all the money she could gather and she bought him a drum kit because he'd always, always begged for a drum kit. And he loved that drum kit and it would piss him off when he would come home from school to find his older brother playing the drum kit better than he could. So out of revenge, he took his brother's guitar in this little amplifier he had and he'd crank it up and he'd pluck away at it. Didn't know how to play it, didn't know how to read music. But it felt good in his hand, so he stuck with it. So Ed would uh, pluck away at that guitar and pretty soon his plucking started to become a style, a unique style, because he didn't know what he was doing. So he kept at it. And pretty soon, he became obsessed with the guitar and it sounded, there was a, a voice in his head like a sound in his head. Musicians know that certain uh, musicians, uh, guitarists are called what we call tone chasers, right? Ed was a tone chaser and he had this really distinctive tone in his head. And so he couldn't get any guitar to match the sound in his head. He, he got a job delivering pianos, nice full circle there, at, at the local music store. And so he had access to all these instruments and he'd get, and he'd try them out. And he'd get, one of these fucking guitars has to have the sound I hear in my head somewhere. None of them had it. So he started getting like old used instruments, uh, guitars, wherever he could. And he'd take them home at night and he'd rip them apart and he'd put one part from one guitar and he like chisel 
pieces of the body so he could put the, the, the pickups from a Gibson into a, into, a, into a Fender, and he was just really trying whatever he could to get that sound. You know, like, and, and this is now, it's like 19, uh, like 72, and like and most kids, the, the smell of like weed would be coming out of the room, but the smell like coming out of Ed's room was soldering uh, smoke, because he was just trying to get this sound. So finally, through some lucky combination of ripping shit apart and put it together, he heard the sound that he'd always heard in his head come out of a guitar. But it was a monstrosity. You know, it was chiseled apart and broken apart and stuck together and bolted together. And uh, he realized how ugly it was, so he um, took... He painted it black, and then it just kind of looked even more weird, so he took some electrical tape, and he taped it up, and he started painting it different ways, and it came out this kind of cool-looking, crazy, striped look. And all the and so now uh, him and his brother, who was, had an equal passion for drums, put a band together, and uh, they would go to local gigs, and everybody would laugh. And what the, who's the, who are these clowns uh, with the long hair? Because it's the 70s and it's disco and it's punk. And who are these idiots? They're looking like Led Zeppelin. And what is that ugly ass guitar? And they would laugh at him until he played it. You might recognize that guitar. That monstrosity is called the Frankenstrat. It's Eddie Van Halen's guitar that he finally created that made the sound he heard so clearly in his head. And... Uh, in 1978, the band Van Halen released their first record, and the second song on that record, uh, in one minute and 42 seconds, changed how we hear music for the rest of our lives. I never knew Jesus, but I know he must have been a badass because they started the fucking clocks over when he died. <laughs> Right? I mean, you got to be pretty badass if they're like, Jesus died and then he was here again. And now, and they're like, they lost track of time. They were like so obsessed with it. They're like, I lost count. Just fucking start over. <laughs> well, Eddie Van Halen was such a badass on guitar because he never stopped chasing the voice he heard inside of his head that in the world of rock and roll guitar, there's what's known as BV and AV, before Van Halen and after Van Halen, because nobody ever approached the instrument the same way again. And one minute and 42 seconds on a song called Eruption, everything changed. So that awkward little kid who didn't speak the language, who didn't who really wanted to play drums, who picked up a guitar to get back at his brother, became uh, Eddie Van Halen. And let's just listen to a little bit of uh, what was going on in his head in that bedroom. Turn that shit up.
You don't just hear that, right? You feel that, right? Speaking of tapping... That shit had never been done in rock and roll. That's what happens when you listen to your voice. Every one of you have a unique voice. And one of the things we get caught up on when we get into this business, whatever business you're in, but especially if you plan to become any kind of expert, one of the biggest hang-ups we have is, ah, this has been said before. Ah, no one... Everybody knows this already. Why would anybody need to hear this from me? The reason they need to hear it from you is because nobody else will ever say it exactly like you. How many millions of notes had been played before that dude picked up a guitar? He didn't care about that. He had something he had to say, and he didn't stop until it got out. So my message when it comes to this and how I'd love for it to affect you is when you have an idea or you have a concept or you have some moment of inspiration. You know those ones when you're in the shower and you're all soapy and you're like, oh, that's it. Oh, my God. And you come out all wet and you like scribble it down. And... Hold on to that for a few minutes. Don't tell anybody about that right away. Don't post that shit on Facebook right away. Because when you do, it's not yours anymore. Now you've shared it. And that's too much trust to give out. He didn't ask a thousand people how to make the sound in his head. Only he could hear it. Okay? When you have a great idea and you post it up on Facebook and nobody responds, you go, ah, must have been nothing. There was no Facebook for Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> you know? Or what if somebody comes in and goes, you know, yeah, you could do that, and it sounds just a lot like what this other guy did over here. And here's a book you could read that'll tell you more about it, and maybe you could do it this way. And now you're trying to do everybody else's idea. Do your shit, man, the way you do it. So that monstrosity of a guitar that he got him laughed at and then changed music history forever. The funny thing is, the minute Eruption came out and every guitarist in the world went, oh, I want to do that. All the guitar makers tried to make a guitar that did that. But Eddie, being entrepreneurial in spirit even then, began to 
put fake stuff on the guitar to throw off the, the imitators. He'd put a fake toggle switch or he'd add a pickup that actually wasn't even wired in. Okay? Because he knew, no, this is my thing. You guys laughed at this shit. This is mine. You can't have this. You can't sell this. Years later, Eddie finally decided to create his own replica of the Frankenstrat. And he made 300 of them and he sold them for $25,000 each. $7.5 million, which is more than he earned on the first four Van Halen records. Why? Because he stayed true to the sound in his head. He didn't let anybody piss on it or steal it from him or tell him it's okay, but... So if you need a coach or a mentor or you want to look up to other people in this business, do it because you're already sure about what it is you're after, not because you're lost, right? It's good to have guides and it's good to have people blaze trails for us. But if you really have something to say and you really feel like it needs to be said, let it develop, let it grow and then go find out the best ways to get it out there. Because the only way people are really going to react to it is if you hear it clearly first. Yeah? Now, one more cool thing about Van Halen. This is important to me. As you can see, I'm kind of passionate about it because I suck at guitar. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. My son, however, kicks ass. He can play by ear. Don't know where he got that because I've been playing the three, same three chords for 25 years. And uh, he loves it. And so he does these shows and uh, plays with some bands. And uh, I always wanted to take him to see Van Halen, but they didn't, they don't tour very often. So they finally announced that they're going on tour in 2012. And I go get tickets. And I say, Ben, we're going to see Eddie Van Halen. Can you believe it? Wow, Dad, fucking awesome. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I was walking my dog one night, and my phone rang, and it was Ryan Lee. And he goes, dude, doing a thing uh, called Sam in Park City, Utah. He goes, I think you'd be a killer speaker. I got one slot left. You want it? When is it? It's the same night as Van Halen. He didn't say that because he didn't know that, but it was. And I said, let me call you back. I had talked to my dog about it. <laughs> and she said, dude, Van Halen's awesome, but this feels like a turning point in your career. You've always wanted to be able to get on stage and speak, and it's pretty big honor that Ryan would ask you to do this. You should probably go do it. So I told Ben, sorry, man, but this is important. Do you understand? I understand that. It's all good. So he and my wife went to see Van Halen, and that was awesome. But I thought, we'll never get to see Van Halen. My son, by the way, you know, is... I, Think of that must have been like Eddie, right? Without minus the laptop. <laughs> and uh, here's some crazy full circle shit. Guess what's happening Sunday when I fly back to uh, Tampa, Florida? Fire fucking Halen! Ah! 
So we will be at Van Halen Sunday night, my son and I. <laughs> yeah. I get excited. I'll be the old guy making a fool of himself. Uh, now, my other little message of inspiration. By the way, this is not a copy tactic, but you just had Ben Settle up here. And, you know, if you will just apply everything Ben Settle told you, let's hear it for Ben Settle, man. I mean, that dude. That's a dude I follow. So that's all the copy you need as far as I'm concerned. Um, follow your voice, listen to your voice, trust your voice. And the other thing I want to share with you is that if you... Uh, aren't sure what you should be doing in this business with your business. Yeah, if you kind of keep jumping around, going back and forth, one thing to the other, um, sometimes you got to start backwards. That's a picture of a woman uh, named um, she, uh, Gladys Kravitz from Bewitched. That's right. Uh, her name was Sandra, and I met her at a car wash in Los Angeles, California, when I was there, uh, broke and destitute and very lost and confused because I had done stand-up comedy for a decade and a friend of mine was given a sitcom on NBC and he was gonna be the star of this sitcom and they told him, um, and he said, I just wanna bring a dude who, should be, who can be my writer and I really wanted to be a comedy writer. And so we naively thought him just asking for that would be enough. But that doesn't work that way in Hollywood. So I moved out to Beverly, <laughs> more like North Hollywood, and, uh, and got out there and found out I couldn't have the job. And just being that close to the gig made me realize I didn't really like Hollywood and show business and, and all the liars and the weird shit that was happening. And so I was confused and I was kind of done with the stand-up thing but I loved the writing but I didn't really want to work on, on, on a studio show and I was I had nothing I had no money I was lost and so I'm sitting at a car wash on La Cienega Boulevard and this delightful uh, woman sits down next to me and nobody I don't know if you guys live in LA or have you ever been there but nobody talks to anybody in LA <laughs> that would make you weird are you dying for that candy I feel bad now. I needed to strike out at you at that moment, and now I'm past it, and I feel, feel like we should talk. It's a nice thing about guilt that goes away. <laughs> I'm going to buy you a Snickers when we get out of here. And she's, you're diabetic. Are you really? I'm going to buy you two Snickers. And this lovely woman says to me, um, isn't it beautiful today? I just got back from Chicago and it was so cold and rainy there. I said, are you talking to me? <laughs> I said, oh, really? I'm from, I, used to, I came here from Chicago too. And then we start talking. She says, what are you doing here? I tell her the story. I'm bummed out and I'm broke and I'm, I don't know what I want anymore. And she said to me, well, you seem like a, a nice guy, and I could give you my agent's card, and you could maybe call him and see if he could help you. She said, but I have a feeling that's probably not what you're really after. She said, so let me give you a piece of advice that my husband used to say to people a lot when they'd ask him similar questions. 
he would always say, sometimes in life, in order to find out what you want, you first have to find out what you don't want and be true to that. Wow. So simple. So simple. But I'd never thought of that before, ever. And that day I decided what I didn't want was to be broke and lost and confused and live in shitty ass North Hollywood anymore. So I packed everything I had in my trunk a week later and it's the first time I've ever moved away from something instead of to something. And it was really powerful. And so through a weird winding twisty couple years where I decided to do different jobs and things. There's her quote, in life to discover what you really want. You need to start with what you don't want and first figure it out from there. Uh, here I am now through some crazy twists and turns. I discovered this amazing thing called copywriting. And what's funny is that um, from trying to go from stand-up comedy to like some kind of legit gig, you know, I was doing like bartending and bellmans and, and all these kind of cool jobs, but no resume jobs, right? I'm unhirable is what we're saying. <laughs> I am proudly unhirable. But because now I'm glad about it because I get to be an entrepreneur, back then I was really scared about being unhirable. So I had learned to not talk about the showbiz thing because I really quickly realized that it's a great bonding tool. We go like this. So tell me about some of your work history. Well, I did stand-up comedy for 10 years. Did you really? That must be fascinating. Oh, it is, and I did this, and I get my getting. Okay, great. Uh, we'll call you. <laughs> I never got those jobs, so I realized, shut up about the stand-up comedy thing because they just assume it's a, it's a stopover job. And the first time some booker calls and goes, will you drive to Dothan, Alabama for 150 bucks? Hell yeah, I'll be out of there. So when I got into copywriting and I got into our world, I had stifled the comedy thing. I'd forgotten that that's what got me there and that that was unique and that that was special. And so it took a couple years uh, and some smarter people to say, hey, man, do you get that you have a unique experience that a lot of people would love to hear about and learn about? And they have this fantasy maybe of doing the same thing one day. You should incorporate that into how you teach comedy, uh, copywriting. So I did, and again, it comes all back to hearing that voice, right? And doing whatever you do, whatever unique thing you have that nobody else has, nobody else has your DNA, right? So whatever it is, just do it your way. So let me show you a little video. And then I wanna show this to you because it's the culmination of me coming back full circle to the fact that I'm allowed to just be funny, not take things too seriously, and it can sell a lot of my product. All right, so this is um, a video I did for just a quick, so you have some context. It's my community called Copy Chief, and we launched a new course called the Fast Wins Copy Course. It's closed now, so this is not a pitch, but this is the video. Hi, my name is Kevin Rogers. I'm the founder of Copy Chief, and I may or may not be wearing pants right now. Now, why would I sit here, potentially pantless, and talk to you about your sales copy. Seems weird. Well, the reason is that launching a product or advertising a service with bad copy 
is a lot like leaving the house with no pants. It'll cause people to point and laugh at you, and at first you'll just think you're popular, but pretty soon you'll realize you're creepy. So what exactly is bad copy as opposed to good copy, and how do we avoid writing it? Well, here's a few examples. Bad copy makes big, hypey promises that the product can't back up. You'll be driving a Lamborghini in 30 days, just like the one I rented in this video. Good copy demonstrates the value of the product in the ad itself. Everything I'll teach you in the Fast Wins Copy course is in effect on the very page you're looking at right now. Bad copy tries to bully the prospect into buying. Is that your family? Yeah, it's your family. That's a good looking family, yeah. Be a shame if anything were to happen to them. So let me ask you one more time. You gonna click? You gonna click? You gonna click? You need to click. Good copy answers every objection with a benefit. Is the Copy Chief community a Facebook group? No. No, it isn't a Facebook group, and our members love that because Facebook is great for seeing pictures of your neighbor's dog in a sweater, but when it comes to crafting the perfect sales message for your product, you'll want a more refined environment, a place where the pros are comfortable hanging out and giving advice. Bad copy uses false scarcity to create urgency. Only 10 copies of my ebook left and then they're all gone. Good copy removes all risk for the buyer and makes it easy for them to test drive the product. So I invite you to check out the offer below. And if you like what you see, give Copy Chief a try. And I'll personally guide you through the Fast Wins Copy course over the next 10 days for $1. And if you don't absolutely love it, canceling is as simple as clicking a button and typing the word cancel into the chat window. So as you can see, the difference between good copy and bad copy can be subtle, but they're important. So if you'd like to learn how to write good copy fast, then come join us and I'll look for you inside. Sound good? A wrap? Sweet. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now, thanks. Couple of notes that might be helpful on that. First of all, as you can see, I did not plan to be pantless on camera that day, or I would have worn funnier underwear. <laughs> uh, but that. Uh, why that is relevant to what we're talking about here is what you don't see is the two days before that that I tried really hard to look into the camera and give a straight pitch for this program, you know, and list off all the benefits and all the cool things and all the things that sounded important. And then I got totally fed up and went, screw it. I'm going to do something nutty, right? Uh, and, uh, and the other thing is it's teaching. So if I can give you one more takeaway, if you're ever lost about what to write about or what to talk about in a video, think of one thing you can teach, yeah? Any question that anybody has ever asked you, 
let that be the subject of what you're talking about. Give a lesson and there's no more powerful way to draw people into you as if you're always giving and teaching. Thank you. Kevin Rogers. Awesome. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash TAM, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to... Uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro. Do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.